Good morning to you. It's good to see you. Good to worship with you. It's fun to have a full house this morning. I know uh, it's a little bit uh, more snug than normal, but here's the thing. I'm a people person, and I love that. Like, I know some of you, you're like, if it was just me and like three others, I would be fine. And uh, to that, I just want to say, well, you got to get ready because heaven's going to be pretty crowded. Um, God's been working for a long time. He's got a lot of people he's he's gathering to himself. And so we're going to be with a crowd, uh, multitudes uh, in heaven. So this is just a good practice for uh, for that. So, um, well, uh, I'm assuming you found the service time. If not, you either got breakfast at Perkins or um, maybe you uh, missed a little bit of the worship, but we are gathering at 10 a.m. and so glad uh, to uh, to be able to be together. And uh, I just want to quell any fears that you have. We are, um, you know, we're going to keep it cool in here. It's a little warm this morning. It didn't quite, uh, our, our scheduling on the on the AC didn't quite kick in, so that's going on. We're going to add some more chairs to make sure that we got plenty of space. But here's the thing. I'm pretty confident because I know you that some of you are going to be gone a little bit this summer, okay? And that's okay. I'm not judging you. It's just the reality of what it is. And so uh, we're going to be uh, in here in one place together. But again, I love that. I love, I would much rather have um, a full room and it's good to be bumping shoulders with each other. Listen, COVID is over, y'all, okay? So we can, we can do that. It's okay. It's fine. Again, I'm not saying that there's no sickness, but it's okay. It's worth it. And so um, this is good uh, to be in this place together. Well, hey, I'm so excited to get into the Word of God this morning, so I just want to invite you, if you have a copy of Scripture, to pull it out and uh, make your way to the book of Hebrews. Uh, many of you have our Scripture journals, and um, that's a great place to take some notes. If you don't have a copy of Scripture this morning, um, we would love for you to be able to see it for yourself and to be able to, um, to follow along on your own. And so um, I'd encourage you, there's a Bible underneath one of the seats in front of you, and so you can grab that, you can um, uh, open that up and, and find that if you need to use that table of contents to find Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning, looking at the end of 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. And we're in a series that uh, we are following along with what God is doing um, uh, and teaching his people here through through this book of Hebrews. And uh, it's it's written to Jewish believers who were struggling in their faith. And if I could, I just want to kind of set up um, and kind of frame uh, the passage we're going to look at this morning with this sort of picture for you. I know many of you uh, realize or recognize that the end of school is approaching. I know some of you, those years of having little ones in your house are kind of long gone, but I think we can probably all remember, put yourself there, even if it was quite a while ago, uh, remember those last days of school, right? You're counting down the days, you're thinking of what, how amazing summer's going to be and the the chance to kind of, you know, just be free, right? And um, and there's always this thing that happens that last day or second to last day or something when, um, I always love it when it happens the second or third to last day, when all the supplies make their way home. I would love it when it's like the third to last day because I'm like, what are you doing for the next two days? Like, don't you need this? Aren't there, isn't there more to be taught? Like, aren't we using up all of our, all of our time? You know, that's, that's dad speaking there. But, but what happens is, is the backpack makes it home and then there's all these sort of supplies that you sent at the beginning of the year right? And, and, and you know the condition that they're in. Like, they are mangled. Like, there's like, you know, when did you draw that on that? You know, like, you're like looking at everything. It's all used. Those crayons are kind of down to the, the nubs, and then, and, and, and like, all the pencils are, you know, kind of mangled. And you're like, where'd you get that? Like, you know, and like, you kind of get to see all these supplies. Because you know what happens at the beginning of the year, right? Like, there is brand new, fresh supplies that go. And uh, those of you that love that kind of thing, like, there's, there's, there's new boxes being opened, new supplies kind of happening. I'm not trying to talk about the start of school already, all right? I don't want to rain on the end of school, but I'm just saying, like, in our house, it's a bit of a production, 
All right, we've got four that are in school. We have a fifth that's a preschooler this year. So next year, we've got five like elementary and middle school um, students. And so it is, it is a bit of an ordeal to get everything ready at the beginning of the school year. My, my wife has a whole system. She like gets all those lists. She kind of compiles them, puts them all together. And it's like, well, we need 47 line notebooks. We need 112 pencils, right? We need like 17 boxes of Kleenex and, and 87 you know, containers of Clorox wipes. I don't know what teachers are doing with those Clorox wipes, but they always want more. There's always, like, you can, if you know a teacher in your life, just give them a Clorox wipe, and they'll be happy with that. But I'm just telling you, like, there's all these supplies. And when you look at the list, it's all these needs, everything that kind of they have, and they kind of go in there with, with all of these needs here, right? There's this, this whole list of all the things needed to be able to, uh, to do what's waiting for them at the beginning of school. That's kind of like a little bit of a circular way to kind of get to this, but here's the picture I want to have for us this morning. Can we just acknowledge something that's true of every person in this room right now, every person listening to my voice on the live stream or on the podcast? Wherever you are, this is true about you. You have a whole list of things that you need this morning. And if we're honest, we don't often like to speak of, talk about, recognize the ways that we are deficient, the ways that we are in need, But the reality is this, is that we all walked in with our little list of needs. And some of us, we try and convince ourselves that we're not that needy, right? We have maybe a couple things, or maybe we even get ourselves to the place that I'm fine, right? I I don't don't need much. But I think in, in moments of honesty, and if we could this morning, to just sort of acknowledge that I think every one of us walked in here this morning with something that we are deficient in. And I'm not just talking about like physical needs, those are important. I'm not necessarily talking about like temporal sort of needs, like I need, <laughs> I need uh, new tires on, on my car. Well, maybe you do need new tires, right? Some of you want new tires, there's a difference, right? But like maybe you need some things this morning. I'm talking more on the level of like spiritually, emotionally, like in, in your soul, who you are, what are the things that you need this morning? Because it's true of all of us, we all have places that we need. And uh, there's, there's situations that some of you are walking through where you need wisdom, you need discernment. It's not cut and dry. It's not simple. Some of you are discouraged and you need encouragement this morning. You need to be reminded of the truth of God's power and his presence. Some of you are in a place of uh, just weakness and, and, and maybe you've sinned and you're, you're in need of forgiveness this morning. You know that there's, there's some places that, that aren't quite aligned some of you just need, you need a, a companion, you need a friend, you need someone alongside of you. I want to tell you this morning that whatever your needs are, I'm talking about your deepest needs, the list that we bring, unlike in our house, where it's a little complicated to try and compile all that list, God is not daunting, like, it's not daunting to the God in one bit. He's able to take all of our lists and to dispense perfectly with what is needed in each situation. This morning, what we're talking about is we're talking about drawing near to God. This is the place that we find help in our time of need. It's when we draw near to Jesus and who he is. That's the title this morning. If you're taking notes, um, you can write that down. But I want to give us this big idea. I like to do this um, uh, often. But the big idea this morning is this. The one place where true life-changing help is, is found is in the person of Jesus. The help 
that we are looking for, the, 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 the needs that we are bringing, they are being met in the person of Jesus. Now, I know that that's not like a surprising thing to hear when you come to church. You're like, great, did you work all week on that? Like, um, and I'll, I'll say, yes, I did. I actually did because it comes right out of the passage this morning. But what's such a like maybe known truth is so much more deep and rich than that if we look at these verses. I was so excited when we started in Hebrews to come to these verses today. I've been counting down, just like your kids are counting down the days to school. I've been counting down the day till we get to these verses because these are some of the best in the entire book. It marks a turn in the book. It marks a, a new section. He's concluding what he's talking about. He's introducing something new. And the author here brings us just this great measure of truth that we need this morning in relation to our needs. And we're going to see it um, in a couple ways. If I could, I just want to kind of explain and give us the mechanics of the passage because it's really going to help us understand it. And what we're going to find this morning is this. We're going to see that there's two truths followed by an exhortation from each of those truths. So there's truth, exhortation because of that truth, truth, exhortation because of that truth. Let's begin in verse 14 of chapter 4. It says this, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Here we have the first truth in exhortation. It's this. Because Jesus is our great high priest, let us hold fast to our confession. Do you see the formula there? Because of Jesus, because of who he is, our great high priest, our response, the exhortation to us is to hold fast to our confession. Let's see it there in the text. It says, uh, in, in verse 14, it says, since then. Uh, this could be translated because, right? We understand this to mean because. Because Jesus, we have a great high priest who is fast through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Because this is true, then we are to respond to it. And here's where uh, the author knows that we need this reminder um, here uh, this morning is that because if you are following along, you were here last week, the passage immediately before talks about the exposing uh, uh, the, the nature of the word of God and what it does to our souls. It says that it's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it, it pierces the division of soul and spirit and that it leaves us exposed um, and vulnerable before the Lord. And so here in this place of being vulnerable, of being exposed, of, 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 of maybe seeing like, well, that's the part I'm trying to cover up, right? Like, I don't want someone to know that. And it's saying God knows this part, but rather than being when we're exposed, when we're vulnerable, that that's when we're at our place of weakest and most vulnerable. What he's saying is, is no, no, you don't need to respond in fear, right? Or recoil from this, but rather you have a great high priest who loves you and who is working on your behalf. That's the idea here. And so it's like we need to hear this. We don't find Jesus in this spot of judgment. We find Jesus in this place of advocate. And what we're going to do is we're going to return to this theme of high priest, this role that Jesus has many times as we continue through Hebrews. Because this is, this is a theme that we're going to build out. We saw this at, at Easter. If you were here with us at Good Friday and, and at Easter, we have this great high priest, and he is great because of who he is, Notice, it says that he has passed through the heavens. He is God himself come down to dwell among men. And he's great because of what he has done. What does a high priest do? A high priest represents the people before God. 
So the Son of God, God himself, is representing us before God the Father. He's advocating on our behalf. And so in Jesus, we find that we have an advocate. In Jesus, we find that he's interceding. And in Jesus, we find that we have a friend. Like he is the one who is doing this. And so because of Jesus being a great high priest, what do we then do? Well, we hold fast to our confession. We hold fast. And hopefully this should sound familiar. He's saying, hold on to that truth that we believe. Don't let go. It should sound familiar because he's said this many times in this letter so far. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. In Hebrews 3, 6, it says, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. And then just a couple weeks ago, we saw Hebrews 3.14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And so what we see here is that our confession is the confidence, the faith that we have placed in Jesus Christ. And so we don't despair. We don't walk away. We don't overthink it and try and deconstruct this faith, but rather because of who Jesus and who he is and what he's done, we hold on to it. And we keep holding on to it, and we don't walk away. This is the idea that the, the author is going to continue to build out throughout the rest of the letter. But before we go any further with that, we don't take our eyes off Jesus, right? He's our great high priest. Let's look at the second truth in the second exhortation. It comes in verse 15. It says, for, for we, or because, right? Because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Here is the second truth and the second exhortation. It's this, because Jesus is our sympathetic high priest, let us draw near to the throne of grace. So because Jesus is our great high priest, let us hold fast to our confession. Because Jesus is our sympathetic high priest, let us draw near to the throne of grace. Now here's the thing. You and I might be wrongly, uh, we might be tempted to wrongly assume that because Jesus is our great high priest, right? And that's the picture that we've seen so far. Like high, lofty, lifted up, right? That's where the book began. Jesus is great. He's matchless. And because he is in and from the heavens, how could he possibly relate, right? How could Jesus truly understand anything that I'm going through in this world and this, this, this kind of place that we have? And so here, it's kind of a unique word that's applied to Jesus, but it says that we have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I don't know that we often think about this word, but you know that Jesus is a sympathetic high priest, that word sympathize, sympathetic, it means that he can relate, he understands, he knows. And this isn't some intellectual knowledge, but he knows because he himself has experienced it. That's what it's saying here. He knows what we are experiencing, and because he have, he can help us out. Hebrews 2.18, it says, as we saw this weeks ago, but it says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. 
I'm hearing a bit of a ringing in my uh, mic. Is it, are you guys hearing that ringing as well? I'm wondering if there's anything that I can do. Is it okay out there? Okay, I'm getting shaken heads. Some are saying yes. Depends on maybe where you're seated. Um, so some of you are, are in the good spot. So um, if it's bothering just me, then that's great. If not, we'll um, <laughs> we'll see. But I don't want to. I don't want you to miss this because this is so so good. So Jesus knows what we are experiencing, and so because of that, because He Himself has felt that same temptation, He can help us. Let's look at it. Let's look at the text and understand this. It says, but we, in every respect, he has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, let's be clear what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that in every way that you've been tempted, Jesus has been tempted in that exact same way. Um, Jesus has never been uh, a woman, all right? He was born a man, and so there might be some unique challenges some unique temptations or things that come to you being, if you're a woman, that you experience uh, that maybe isn't indicative of him. And so he hasn't experienced that exact same thing. Uh, Jesus was single. Uh, I think it's a good reminder sometimes. I know it feels like um, the goal or sort of the place that happiness is found is in uh, one of the places, is in marriage. And those of you that are single, I think it's a good reminder that Jesus was single. And, and, and he lived his entire life, never married. And so there's some unique temptations, some unique struggles that happen. Well, don't get me wrong, marriage is fantastic, but it does bring with it a couple of unique struggles. And so there's maybe some things that arise out of marriage that Jesus never struggled with. There's other things, like Jesus never had a smartphone, right? He didn't have access to the things that you and I did. He's not dealing with the things in the same way. So maybe there's some temptation on this that's available to us that wasn't, you know, kind of them. That's not saying that he was tempted in the exact same way that you and I are tempted. But what it's saying is, is that he experienced the essence of every sin, the temptation of every sin. And so he did struggle with anger. That was a struggle that he had struggled against. He was tempted to be angry at times, is what I mean by that. He had to struggle against the temptation to lust. There were beautiful women back in his day, and so certainly this was a temptation that he had. He was tempted at times to despair, right? to not have hope or to not have confidence. He was tempted to uh, give in to selfishness and a self-serving attitude. Right? These are all things that are natural that are kind of at the base or the heart of the, 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 maybe the sin that we struggle against. But what it's saying is, is that in every respect, Jesus was tempted as we are. But then we get to that place where it says, yet without sin. And that's where I think some of us check out. If I'm honest, I think you guys want an honest pastor, right? So if I'm honest, this is sort of where I check out or I have for a long time. I'm kind of like, well, yeah, but he was Jesus, Right? Like, he's the son of God. He didn't, he didn't sin. So does he, how can he really relate? Or how can he really know what I am going through? Like, can he relate to the temptation that I'm feeling? And for the first time, as I was studying this this week, this became clear to me in a way that it never had before. And our, um, our dear friend C.S. Lewis was super helpful in, in this. So let me just share what he says. I don't have it on the screen. Just listen along. It says this, a silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. 
That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside of us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who ever yielded to, who never yielded, sorry, that's really important, who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows the full, uh, who knows to the full weight that temptation means, and only the complete realist. See, I, I know that there's times, like if I can just use kind of a, a little more uh, silly illustration, but like, you know, if I'm trying to be good and the ice cream comes out at night, I'm like, man, I just had ice cream this afternoon. I probably shouldn't have it again, you know? Like, and so uh, like I'm, I'm resisting that temptation. And then after like a few minutes, it's like, oh, it's all softened up. Oh, it tastes really good. Okay, give me a bowl. You know, like I'll, I'll get myself some. Like that's not like that because I, I gave into it. I don't know the full weight of what it would have been like not to give in, right? If I go the entire night and I don't have any ice cream and then it comes out again the next night and I'm like, oh man, here we go again, you know, right? And then the next night I'm resisting and the next night I'm resisting and like my family's just killing me and they're having ice cream every single night and they're like, mm, this is so good, right? And they're just kind of going on. It's only in experiencing all of that that I understand the full weight of what that temptation is, right? As we give into it. I don't know if that's helpful for you. I, I would imagine that it is. But as I applied that then to Christ and understand what he went through, I mean, imagine this. For his entire life, he watched as the world around him caved and gave in to every temptation which was given. But he never did. Day after day, night after night, week after week, year after year, he resisted the temptation to sin. And let's not make a mistake. I mean, Jesus was God. He was fully God, but he was fully man. He experienced the same pains of hunger that you and I do, right? His body was, was, was given the same chemicals that you and I have. And so some of those urges or desires, like the emotions and the things that we feel, he experienced those too, but yet never gave in to sin. See, that's such a helpful thing to understand that Jesus sympathizes with us because he actually was tempted in ways that you and I will never even know. Why? Because we give in. We don't know the full weight of living our ent entire life without giving into sin. Jesus does. And so this is the truth. And so the exhortation then is, because Jesus is a sympathetic high priest who can relate to us in our weaknesses, the implication then, the exhortation to us is then draw near to him. Draw near to the throne of grace because it's at the throne of grace that we find help that we need in our time of need. And so what I want to do with the time that remains is I want to look into, just kind of dig into a little further, this second exhortation. Not that we're not caring about the first. That's actually where the author goes next. So we're going to have plenty of other weeks ahead of us to kind of look at the theme of what it means to be a high priest and, and how that means that we hold fast. But what I really want to do is I want to look at what does it mean to draw near. And so what I think the text has for us this morning is this. It's four essentials of drawing near to God. How do we draw near to the throne? What does this look like? And what happens when we do? All of this is coming right from those verses 15 and 16. This is where we're really camping uh, this, this, uh, this morning and looking at together. But it says this again. Let me read it. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Uh, here's the thing that we first have to understand is what are we drawing, where are we drawing near to? Well, we're drawing near to Jesus and his throne of grace. We draw near to Jesus and his throne of grace. It's such an interesting word to use there. You know, maybe you've memorized these verses. It's a really good thing to memorize verses. I would encourage you to do so. One of the downfalls of that is sometimes they lose their punch, right? Like we, we forget or we just like, oh yeah, throne of grace. Have you ever thought about that term throne of grace? Like Jesus is sitting on a throne, but it's not maybe the throne that you would expect. It's not a throne of power or a throne of might or a throne of judgment. Now make no mistake, it is those, but that's not the aspect of his throne that the author is focusing on here. He says it's a throne of grace. And so here we have this idea of grace. Where does this grace work? How does this, how does this work out? Well, you, you understand both the kingly and the priestly nature in this throne of grace. And it goes on in, in, in verse 5. Let's look at the rest of the passage that we're looking at this morning. Let's look at verse 5 because it kind of unpacks this a little bit for us. In verse um, 1 of chapter 5, it says, For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God just as Aaron was. Let's pause there for a second. Again, he's kind of unpacking and reminding the people of God what a earthly, a human high priest does, or according to that role. And it says every high priest is chosen to act on behalf of men, right? It represents men before God. But that high priest deals gently with the congregation. Why? Because he's keenly aware of his own sin as he enters or approaches the throne of grace. See, there was a requirement that the priest had to offer a sacrifice of a bull on, his, for, on behalf of his own sins. There was a special prayer that he would pray and he would offer sacrifice for his own sins before he could enter into the Holy of Holies on that Day of Atonement. There was this um, a passage that, that is written in Leviticus. It talks about that there was bells sewn onto his garments so that the people could hear him doing his business and know that he had not been struck dead there in that place. I mean, the, the high priest was keenly aware between sacrificing for his own sins and then going into this place and sort of the fear of death that came. Like he was very aware that he was just a man, right? That it wasn't, it wasn't because of his special status that, that he was going into that place. And so because of that, he was able to help others. He dealt, gen, gel, gen, dealt gently with the ignorant and the wayward because he recognizes that he himself was ignorant and at times wayward. And he also realized that this was an honor that was bestowed on him just because of his birth and who he was. He was a descendant of Aaron and God himself had called him to that. Okay, so this is an earthly high priest. How does this relate to Jesus? It continues in verse five. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So Jesus was appointed by God himself. Why? Because he was God's son. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We're gonna come back to that funny sounding name if any of you are debating naming a child someday, Melchizedek, let's have a conversation, okay? Not that it's a bad name. I just, you know, I want to 
I want to at least advocate for some other thoughts on that. So verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he had suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. By designated, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. All right, we're going to come back to this idea of Melchizedek. It's just kind of being introduced here. And so I'm not going to speak too much of this, but this kind of relates back to the throne of grace, okay? This is all related back to that idea of throne of grace. Jesus, chosen by God, in the same way that an earthly priest knew his weakness, Jesus himself, before going to the cross, where did he cry those tears, right? Loud cries of tears to him who was able to save him. It was right before he went to the cross, right? He says, if if it would be your will, take this cup from me. So Jesus felt his own weakness in those moments. He's asking for help. And it says that God heard his prayers. It's always a good, a good answer or a good reminder for us, right? Sometimes we pray and we're like, God, did you hear me? You didn't answer the way I thought. Jesus himself prayed, if it would be your will, take this cup from me. It says here that his prayers were answered, yet the cup was not taken from him, right? He still went to the cross, And so sometimes God answers our prayers in better ways than we thought we needed. That's what he's doing here. But then it says that he was made this priest, a perfect priest. He became the source of eternal salvation, and he was designated after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, here's what we have to know about Melchizedek at this point. Melchizedek shows up just briefly in this interaction with Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis. There's only like a few verses that talk about him. And what we know about him is he was both a king and he was a high priest. All right, we're talking to Abraham, so it wouldn't have been Jewish people yet. But this was a priest before God, the holy God, our God. He was a high priest, and he was also a king. Again, we're going to come back to this idea, but, but you didn't see that. There was never in the people of Israel, there was never a king who was also a priest. Those were two different positions filled by two different people. And so now comes along Jesus, and you have both the king and the priest being served in the same person. That's who Jesus was. And I think this is so helpful that we understand the throne of grace. Why? Because at the throne of grace, there is both judgment and mercy being offered. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, you've probably heard of him or read some of his books. He passed away about a week and a half ago. Major impact on the, the church today. Um, there are so many, he's been so helpful to me at, at various points and, and, and you know, so benefited from uh, many of his books. But he has a phrase that he used in relation to this that I found so helpful. He talks about this being Jesus had the ministry of both truth and tears. Truth and tears. And so you have this throne, the judgment, and then you have grace, mercy, forgiveness being offered. There was both truth and tears in Jesus' ministry. And we see that he modeled this so perfectly. One example that we can go to is in his interaction with Mary and Martha. Do you remember Mary and Martha? Mary and Martha, if you don't know the story, it's okay. Mary and Martha had a brother, Lazarus, who was good friends with Jesus, and he died. They sent for Jesus. They told him to come. They said, hey, Lazarus is sick. Get here. And Jesus delayed, and in his delay, Lazarus died. And so upon arriving there, uh, Martha runs up to Jesus, and he says, Lord, if you had not been here, or if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Do you remember, do you know what what Jesus said to her? He said, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. 
He spoke truth into Martha's situation, into her life. She needed a bit of an exhortation, a bit of a rebuke there in that moment, a reminder, hey, don't, don't count this out. You know who I am. I am the resurrection of life. Well, then it says, well, you know, Jesus called for Mary, and so Mary came out to him. And in coming to Jesus, she began to, te- to, to, to weep. And it says the people began to weep. And Jesus, upon seeing Mary, upon seeing the people, what did he say? What did he do to Mary? Was it the same thing? Did he remind her that he's the resurrection and the life? No. It says, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He responded with just tears. He didn't say a thing. And he just cried with Mary there in that moment. What kind of God do we serve that in that moment knows exactly what is needed in that place? And haven't we all been in that same spot? Sometimes the things that we need, when you walk in here or you sit down and you open up scripture or you meet with a friend and what you really need is to kind of be hit upside the head with like a two by four of truth, right? Like God sometimes is just like whack, you know, just like kind of, you're like, okay, I needed that. That was good, okay? Like other times, other times you don't need the truth. You need tears, You need to just know that God is compassionate and he is present and he is there and he loves and there's forgiveness and there's mercy and both are found in the person of Jesus Christ. So when we draw near, what we're drawing near to is Jesus and his throne of grace. That is what's so amazing about the cross. You guys have to understand this. The cross is where Jesus perfectly perfectly satisfies the holy, righteous judgment of God and yet displays the perfect, loving, forgiving mercy of God. Both are met. It's not a perfect illustration, but it would be like the judge, you know, there's a court, there's a trial, you're on trial, and the judge, God, slams the gavel down, you've been declared guilty. The sentence is death. And then upon doing it, takes off his robe and then serves your sentence, your penalty. That doesn't work in our justice system, but in his, that's, that's, you know, it's not a perfect illustration, but that's what he does. He steps in and both pays for the judgment that was it and offers mercy. Listen, we are not drawing near to God's throne of judgment when we come. We are not drawing near to God, to, to, to Jesus's throne of like a stern reminder When we draw near to our high priest, we are drawing near the throne of grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. That's what grace is. And so Jesus perfectly executes this ministry of truth and tears, and we do need both, right? If it's all truth, it's brutal. If it's all tears, then it's, it's, it's worthless. We need both. We need this sympathy, and we need this instruction, And Jesus is bringing both here. So when we draw near to him, that's what we're getting. Number two, the second truth that we need to see is draw near when you need help. When do we draw near? We draw near when we need help. Notice it says, let us then with confidence draw near that we may receive mercy and find grace to help when in our time of need. Let's look at first the idea of our let us draw near. That is a continual offer, okay? I think this is so good for us that continually we are being welcomed into that throne of grace. There are no, God doesn't have office hours, okay? You try and call the office on a Monday, it's gonna ring. 
You're going to get our voicemail. There's office hours here. God doesn't have office hours. Like when you come to him, when you approach him, he's, he's like always answers. He picks up every time. Don't you love that when you have a friend, by the way, that always answers? I have a few friends like that that I like, when I call them every single time they pick up. I'm like, are you ever busy? I know that they're busy, but I'm like, what are you doing? Like, how, how do I always time this? I know I don't. I know I'm interrupting you at times. Um, I have some people in my life that I try and be that. Every time I see it, doesn't matter what it is, I'll try and pick it up. Um, my wife wishes I was on, <laughs> that she was on that list because <laughs> there's times. Just honesty, okay, just being honest. I'm not saying that she's not. I, I try to every time, but, but sometimes it's like, hey, sorry, I can't, you know, that little, sorry, can't talk now. Sorry, <laughs> you know, like, and then uh, the code is if it's like, you know, by ring four, it's like, hey, let me just answer this real quick, right? And so, but here's the thing. We don't always pick up. God does every time. Every time you go before him, he welcomes us. There's not a quota, like you haven't used up. Like, well, you know, this is the third time this week are you serious, right? Like you already got your punch card filled up. You got to wait till you get a new one, right? Your account is on empty. You don't, there's no more withdrawals this time. That's not what it's saying. It says, let us draw near. The idea is continually let us draw near. And then in our time of need, what happened is the high priest once a year would go into that place of the Holy of Holies. Now that's satisfied, you know, on a yearly basis the judgment of God based on according to his ultimate foreshadowing, looking forward to what Christ was going to do on the cross. But once a year, they would go before God in that way. Listen, with Jesus as your high priest, he is advocating for you on a daily, hourly, sometimes even minute-by-minute basis. It's not a a once-a-year sort of thing. It is all the time. Do you realize that we are drawing near to the throne of grace where even angels fear to tread, right? With veiled faces, they see and know the glory of God, yet we are being invited into this place before God himself. And so we draw, need, draw near when we are in need. And that is a lot. If we're honest, it's a lot. There's a lot of times that we need God's grace and we need his mercy in our life. Number three, we draw near with confidence, We draw near with confidence. I love that word there. Let us draw near with confidence. That's bold frankness. It's an honest outpouring of the heart. It's basically saying, listen, you belong here because of what Christ has done on your behalf. You've been given access to a place that you normally wouldn't or you wouldn't on your own, but but God has made a way. And so with confidence, we can draw near to God. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, Back in uh, college, I went to school in downtown Chicago, and sometimes the dorm room or the library became a pretty lame place to study. Like, I just, I couldn't do it. I needed a change of pace. And so I love coffee shops, but I didn't have much money for coffee shops. And so I didn't want to be one of those guys. I had some friends that would just go to a coffee shop, not get anything. Worse, they would even bring their own tea bag and ask for a cup of hot water. I know some of you are baristas, and you like... (laughs) You've thought some mean thoughts about those kind of people, okay? I know that's true. But, but no, I wasn't going to do that. And so what did we do instead? Well, we found that hotel lobbies were actually a really good place to kind of hang out and study. Um, they don't know who you are. They don't know if you're a guest or not. And so we would kind of just walk into these hotel lobbies, and we would just hang out. And there's some really nice hotel lobbies in downtown Chicago. I can give you a list. If you want, like, my top 10, I'll tell you all of them. We would just go and, like, kind of surf between different lobbies, and we would just kind of, you know, we wouldn't frequent them too much, so we came regularly. It's like, oh, you're back again, Mr. You know, like, um, so we would, we would kind of, you know, vary it, but we would go in there, and we would, we would study. But I, if I'm honest, I always had this feeling. Like, I didn't know how they were going to tell, but, like, 
I always had this feeling like somebody was going to come up with like a name badge and be like, hey, are you guys supposed to be here? And at that point, I'm just going to cave and I'm going to be like, no, yeah, uh, sorry, we... <laughs> Yeah, no, we, we, we are not staying here. We're not guests. We'll, we'll leave. We'll, we'll go to a different hotel lobby. Um, but, um, you know, I always thought that that was going to happen. And so there was always, I never like totally got comfortable. You know, I always felt like I had to kind of like watch over my shoulder, like really look like I'm, you know, like what does a guest of this hotel look like? Like I'm trying to like embody that, right? And so um, recently, uh, many of you know, I, I got a chance to go to Israel with our oldest daughter. And uh, we were staying kind of near the King David Hotel, which is kind of a, a cool hotel. A lot of famous people have uh, stayed there. And all the famous people that have stayed there like have a signature that's like on the floor. And so um, I wanted to show Ellie that uh, the floor. And so we went to go into it. And then there was this like gate and this little guy uh, standing there sort of like, I don't know what he was doing, checking ID or something like that. So I channeled all of my um, college studying confidence, and I just said, shalom, and just walked like right past him. And he didn't say a thing. And Ellie was like, dad, was that guy, like, what's he? And I'm like, I don't know. We're just going to, let's look at it, and we'll go, okay? And so we knew that we had no business being in there. And I don't know if they even care, but it felt much more like kind of covert and kind of, you know, uh, serious than it did at the time. But here's the thing, right? I'm guessing, I'm guessing the last time that you stayed in a hotel, like you paid for a room <laughs> and you were actually staying there, not for a second did you think twice about going and sitting in that hotel lobby, right? Like that's not even a thought in your mind. Of course you can go and sit in the lobby. You can take your laptop, you can work on something. And many of you have, like you've, you've gone down to the lobby to kind of get a little change of scenery and you've just sat there and you've just worked. And you never once thought for a second that somebody's going to come and kind of call you out and be like, hey, do you belong here? Why? Because you did. You, you, you belong there. You can just walk in with confidence. I'm telling you, we have to understand how incredible this truth is. Like, we haven't paid our own way into the throne of grace, but Jesus paid our behalf. He's given you the VIP credentials and you can approach that throne of grace with confidence, with boldness. You don't for a second have to think that you don't belong there. If you are in Christ Jesus, he paid your way. And you can walk in like you are his child because you are. Right? In the same way that my son like, runs into my office with no fear or trepidation, he's running to dad. He doesn't care if there's a meeting or something going on. He comes running right in there. Why? Because it's dad. And I'm telling you that you too can walk into the throne of grace with confidence because of what Christ has done on your behalf. How incredible is this truth, church? I mean, how great is our God that he gives us this ability to walk in with confidence before him? And what are we coming for? What are we trying to get it's this, we're drawing near for great mercy and grace. You see what it says there? It says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Those are a couple definitions I like. Not Mercy, not getting what you deserve. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. What do we need mercy for? Well, we need mercy for our past. Right In our past, we have sinned. And we deserve judgment. We deserve eternal punishment. We deserve separation from God. And so with mercy, 
He restores us in relationship to him. He, he welcomes us and he speaks truth and life into our lives. He gives us mercy for our past. And sometimes our past is what keeps us from God. We think that we gotta clean ourselves up with first. Man, some of you, and maybe if I'm speaking to you, then, then yes, I'm speaking to you in this moment, but some of you, I've heard this before. I don't wanna get baptized. I wanna get to a better spot first. Right, like I gotta, I, gotta get, I gotta get to a good spot. And I think what we see in scripture is baptism is the beginning, right? It's the start of that journey. And so sometimes in, in a small way, if I could just use that, like that's a really good example of like, well, I need, to, I need to get myself kind of in this spot before I can do this. And what Jesus is saying is, no, as you come to me, you get mercy for what happened in the past. But then you also find grace for your time of need. That's what we need for our present and for our future. Grace is power in our life. Grace transforms. The more that you understand the grace of God and how much he is giving you that you do not deserve, the more that that will change you. We obey not because we're trying to earn anything. We obey because we have been made new by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? We don't deserve that. And so grace changes our present and our future. Grace transforms who we are. And so we draw near to find mercy for our past and then find grace in our present help in time of need. And I just want to tell you this, church, that we need to do this regularly. If you haven't come before God in this way in a while, this is something that is available to you at all times. And if you've never come to God in this way, I just want to tell you the truth of the gospel, that Jesus came to pay a price that you owed but never could pay. He paid that price that he didn't deserve, yet he went to the cross, gave up his life, his death, said, shed his blood so that you would be able to receive the forgiveness of God. Our freedom is costly. It was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because that price has been purchased, we now have access into the throne of grace, the eternal God over all of creation, right? the holiest, most holy being in the world, or in all of the universe, right? He's over the universe. He's outside of our universe. He's welcomed us into his presence, into his very, very relationship with him through what Christ has done. And so many of us, we come with that list, right? And we're like, well, I'm gonna try and find this, or I'm gonna check this out, or I'm gonna kind of work on this, or surely God doesn't want this. And he's like, no, 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 give me the whole list. Like, I'll take it all. What do you got? What else do you need? What else do you need? What else do you need? You're gonna find it in my grace and in my mercy, and he is perfectly able to execute and give you exactly what you need this morning. So listen, church, what Jesus is asking for from you is nothing but your desperation. We don't bring anything to that throne of grace but our need. I think it was Luther or somebody that said something like that. Like the only thing that we contribute to the gospel is our need for it, the sin that requires it. That's what we bring. And that's all that Jesus expects from you. He wants you to come desperate, needy, in a place of brokenness, in a place of submission. And some of us, we need to hear this this morning. Some of you, you need not the ministry of truth this morning. You need Jesus' ministry of tears, that he sees you, that he knows what you're walking through. He can sympathize with your weakness. And he's not wagging his finger at you. He's not giving you another list of all the things. He's saying, hey, give that to me. Let me take that on myself. I have already paid for that. There's nothing that you can do to add to that what I have already done. 
Hand that over to me and I will give you grace that you need in your time of need. Some of us need to be reminded of that truth this morning. I hope, I hope that this serves for us as a huge encouragement for who our Jesus is. That's what it was meant to be to the people that were being written to. They were struggling. They were questioning. They were weary. And he says, hey, don't forget who it is that we are worshiping. It's our great high priest, and he understands. And so let's not pull back. Let's draw near. Let's come closer, and let's receive what he is offering through his loving grace. Let's pray. God, we give you praise. We give you mercy. Or we give, you give us uh, uh, mercy, God. We give you praise. You give us the mercy, God, that we don't deserve. We've done nothing to earn. And so, Lord, we respond in thanksgiving, in awe, in worship. Lord, there are so many times that, that we have but to reach out, God, what, but to call out to you and to receive what you are giving us through your son, Jesus. I pray that we would do that this morning. Now that we would be reminded that we've been invited into the throne room of you, the most high God, and that access has been given to us. Jesus, we thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, when we sin, Lord, there is grace. When we fall short, when we give in to temptation, Lord, there is grace. Lord, when we don't know what to do, when we don't have it all figured out, God, there is grace. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy, which you offer freely. God, you are so good, and we love you, and we want to respond to you. God, we give you the praise and the worship that you are due. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.